Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, film geeks. Today's class is all about the last voyage of the Demeter. The latest Dracula film in a long string of Dracula films. Let's talk about it. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of All Right, Let's Talk About It. My name is Savannah. I am your host. I do film reviews and film industry commentary. Oh my goodness. So we have another Dracula movie. Yes, another one. So about this time last summer, we had The Invitation with Natalie Emmanuel and Thomas Doherty. That was Dracula. This past spring, we had Renfield with Nicolas Cage, Nicholas Holt, filmed right here in New Orleans, Dracula. Renfield is based on a character in the novel who was um, Dracula's kind of uh, crazy, faithful servant. And then we have The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is based on Dracula. And then I think next year, next summer, somewhere around there, we're getting Nosferatu, a remake. If you've never seen the original Nosferatu, what are you doing? It is so good. I think this might be old enough that you could probably watch it online for free. I'm not sure. Um, but highly recommend. It's so good. It's beautiful. It's an old silent film. Oh, I, I could go on. But anyways, so we also have Chloe Zhao, who is in talks to direct another Dracula remake, but she wants to go sci-fi Western with it. I have no idea what that means. Now, if you go to my shorts on YouTube or even on my TikTok or Instagram, but definitely on my shorts, you'll be able to find it much quicker. I go through all of these different Dracula movies that have come out within the last year and that are coming up because it, it gets a little irritating sometimes seeing the same things over and over again, the same stories. Hollywood can't seem to come up with anything new. I don't know if, you know, just the recent, you know, issues with the box office and by recent issues, I mean, COVID, you know, the theater basically took a year off. I think the last movie I saw before everything shut down was Gretel and Hansel. And it was maybe like, a week or two that after that is when everything shut down. The first movie I saw back in theaters was Inception. They re-released Inception back to theaters. I already I've seen the movie a thousand times. I think at that point it was on HBO Max. Um, and you know, I have the DVD, but I was anxious to get back to the theater. There was nothing new at that time that I wanted to see. So Inception it was, and I just wanted to be back in the theater. I think the next movie I saw after that might have been The New Mutants. 
I know with Anya Taylor-Joy, an X-Men movie, and then I saw Tenet also. But it was a bit of a slump for the movie theater. Those couple of months off, a lot of our big theater houses almost shut down. They almost didn't survive and had to play a lot of catch up. But we had, you know, Top Gun, Maverick come out last year, really saved the theater. And I'm kind of getting off track. But what I'm basically saying is I think the the big slump at the box office and the fact that people are very picky and choosy with what they come to the theater to see, I think it has Hollywood a little nervous to try new things. And they're sticking with what's comfortable and what they think, you know, the general public wants to see. But I think they seem to be a little bit out of touch with what the public wants. They keep giving us things that we just don't want, characters and tropes and archetypes that we're just so sick of seeing and stories that keep getting played out. The market right now is oversaturated with superhero movies. I mean, good grief. Um, We had what, within what? Four months, what, May, June, July, now August, we had Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man, The Flash. Uh, what else is coming out? Um, Blue Beetle next week. Then we have the Marvels coming out. We had Ant-Man earlier this year. Just oversaturated, just so much, and people are getting tired. And now there's concern that the Blue Beetle next week won't break even. So that's what I'm basically saying is I feel like Hollywood is just a little scared to try new things. So they're sticking with what has worked in the past and hoping that gets the box office going again. Things are going great right now. Um, It was kind of touch and go at the beginning of the year, but then we had Oppenheimer and Barbie come out and that just did it. That did it. And then Sound of Freedom did it. I think, you know, um, Mission Impossible, it's struggling a bit. The movie is very expensive, but it's doing okay. And then, you know, across a Spider-Verse, killed it. You know, it's Super Mario Brothers was just an unexpected hit. I don't think anyone expected that movie to do as well as it did. That was, I think, one of $2 billion movies. Barbie is the second from this year. And yeah, and, and because Hollywood is just so scared, we're just getting the same regurgitated stuff over and over again. Now, while we have seen many a Dracula film and we've had quite a few Dracula movies in the past 12 months, I I, I think this is an interesting um, direction for them to go with the lore of Dracula. It's not very often that you see a direct adaptation of Dracula in any form. Usually it's just they take the character and they add their own little spin, which is cool. But the novel is gorgeous and it's beautiful and it's scary and it has that gothic appeal to it that you don't see too often in film anymore. And I think that's one of the things I loved about The Invitation. The movie has its issues and I have a lot of issues with it. And I think I'm going to do a, a, an episode about it. But the gothic romantic aesthetic is what makes the movie for me. I love that. And that's what this movie has. So let's get into this thing about Dracula. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty of all things Dracula, I want to make sure we're all understanding where this movie is coming from. For those who have not read the novel, let me kind of catch you up, so to speak. So this is based on the 1897 published novel Dracula by Bram Stoker, who is originally from Ireland, lived most of his life in England. And it's a classic 
Clearly, right? Here's the thing about Dracula that makes it a little different from a lot of your classics. Dracula is what's called an epistolary. An epistolary is usually a collection of like letters or a collection of documents. And that's what Dracula is. Instead of the typical prose narrative, the narrative structure here is an epistolary. It's a collection of documents. That's how the story is being told. And that's one of the things that makes the novel so terrifying is it presents itself like a true story. So it's diary entries, letters, memos, um, articles, interviews, um, phonographs. So, you know, transcripts of recordings or whatnot. That's what we get here in the the book Dracula. And it presents itself like it's a true story. Like somebody is has collected all this evidence and said, this really happened. I want to make sure no one ever forgets it. And I know for me, having read it, when I was read, reading it, I had to remind myself time and time again that this never happened. This This isn't real. It's not true. It's very convincing. But that's one of the things that makes the novel so scary and so special and so different. And this book, this movie, I should say, The La- the Voyage of the Last Demeter, is based on a single chapter from the novel, um, chapter seven, which is often referred to as the captain's log. So the story here is that Dracula, who's been living in the Transylvania region of Romania forever, um, it's time for him to move on to other places because he's not able to get what he get out of the village, you know, food wise, what he needs anymore. It's time for him to move on if he wants to survive. So he enlists the help of a I think they're called they were called solicitors. Um, I can't remember the proper name for um, a turn of the century English realtor, someone who can help him find new property in this new world for him. And Jonathan Harker is that dude. So. Jonathan Harker goes to the castle in Transylvania, Dracula's castle, to set up affairs. And that's when it really gets a little creepy. He notices Dracula's a little bit different. Dracula smells kind of funny. He only sees Dracula at night and, and all these things. And he starts to get a little bit weaker and he doesn't understand what's happening. And then he finally gets out. He gets back to London and he thinks it's all behind him. Well, it, you know, Dracula now has this new property and it's time for him to move on. But he has to get to England from Romania, but you know, he can't go out in the daytime or else he'll burn up in the sun. So he ships himself to London and he ships himself via the Demeter. And that's where our story begins with um, all these different crates, some of them business related, some of them private, Dracula being in that crate, you know, on this voyage with these men who have no idea what they're in store for. And the way this chapter starts, it starts with the ship coming into port and it's coming in kind of fast. And they realize no one's at the helm. And they're like, oh, wait, wait, someone is at the helm. He's dead. He's dead. So there's only one person left on this boat. He is deceased. No one else is there. But in the pocket of this captain who was at the helm, they find a log and we get to read the log and figure out what happened day after day. And there's different days over this voyage where people just go missing. And no one knows why. And no, and people are losing their minds. One guy claims he saw something. He saw something in the night. There's some evil on board. And he's like, this man is deranged. This is folly. This is foolishness. But people keep mi- missing. People, people keep leaving. And, and it just, it's weird and it's scary. And finally, the captain's like, holy crap, something evil is on board. And he too ends up dying. So we get this ghost ship that arrives at port and they decide to give this captain, you know, a beautiful funeral. And it's in this funeral that we're connected to the rest of the characters in the story, Mina and Lucy, who attend the funeral. And 
it's it's creepy. It's scary. And it's just, it's eerie um, because you know he's arrived. You know he's there. And they have no idea what's in store. They have no idea what's coming. It's it's such an interesting novel because you can see the pieces moving. It's it's one of those rare birds of a novel where you know what's coming, you know what's going to happen, and the characters are none the wiser. It's very rare to have a good novel where you know more than the character knows. And it plays out so well and it works so well. So that's one of the things I love about this novel. Now, what did it pay off? They made a decision to take one of the most obscure and short little chapters of the of the novel and turn it into a story. Did it work? Let's talk about it. If you have never read the novel, um, I would caution you. Like, take whatever it is I have to say with a grain of salt. I don't think anything that I'm going to say from here on out is going to mean anything to you. Because if you've never read the novel, you've never read the chapter, you may have watched Dracula movies here and there. And don't think of, th- hear that and think I'm coming for you. I'm not. I'm not. Um, who is honking horns outside? Tangent. Squirrel. Um, you don't have to read the book. I think you should. I think you should. Everyone should read this. It's, a, it's beautiful. It's a classic. And I also understand that British literature is not for everybody. It's not fun for everyone. And that's fine. It's fun for me. I'm also weird like that. But I understand it's not for everybody. So I don't want you to hear that and think, oh, she's coming for me. She's in. So-. No, 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 no. I'm exactly what I'm saying. If you've never read the novel, I think you're going to enjoy this movie. That's just fine because you don't know what's missing. For you, I think this will be just a summer fun horror film. Every summer, there's a, a horror film that's just fun. This year, it's The voy- the Last Voyage of the Demeter. And I think you're going to have fun with this movie regardless. It's got some nice jump scares. It's beautifully shot. I love the set design here because most of this movie takes place on the ship, the Demeter. So it, it, that very tight space, and it's beautifully put together. Um, great cinematography. The music is wonderful. The sound design is so great. Just the echoes and creaks and sounds of a ship at sea. The rain, the the, the rats, even the animals, and just the overall people on the ship. I think the sound design and the sound editing is very good here. There were a couple of moments with sound that were um, a little off for me. Moments where our main character, I haven't even told you who's in the movie yet, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, When the main character is kind of screaming into the wind and you can't really hear him, but at the same time, it it gives you that muffled feeling. It's very realistic because the winds and the waves and, you know, there's so much going on and rain. And so, of course, if you're standing at a distance, you wouldn't be able to hear him. But again, this is Dracula. I imagine he has like supersonic hearing, but I digress. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So I think you're going to you're going to enjoy the movie just fine. But I think for those of us who have read the novel, we're going to notice some things that are missing. And I think the first thing that I noticed was just the beginning I thought was very anticlimactic. The beginning of the chapter, which this movie is based on, it's, um, it's scary. It's ominous. It's strange. It, it pushes you to ask questions. This did not. It was just very blah, the beginning for me. I, I really wanted more from, I wanted more of an introduction to the ship. I wanted to almost kind of build a relationship with the ship, kind of in the way we built a relationship with the Black Pearl from Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, all we see is kind of this crashed ship in the dark. We don't really know much of anything. And then we kind of flash back to a few weeks earlier 
And we see our crew there. We have our characters being introduced. We see our ship, but we really don't get a feel for the ship. I really wish we'd gotten more time to kind of get to know the boat. There are opportunities in film where you can take inanimate objects or even cities and towns and turn them into characters. Um, Stephen King is really good about doing that in his novels, giving us a connection to different um, different towns like Derry in Maine from the movie It. There are a couple of books I know take place in Derry, Gatlin, Nebraska, Jerusalem's Lot, stuff like that, you know, where we really kind of develop a bit of a connection. The television show Castle Rock, you know, where we, the, each town has its own little personality. I think there was an opportunity to kind of turn the ship into a character. We didn't really get enough time to really get a feel for this boat. But I think it, a lot of it has to do with the crew as well. But same thing with the crew. I don't think we were given a lot of time to really get to know these characters. Many of them were not all that fleshed out. The director and the writers really decided to pick and choose which characters they wanted us to bond with. And they picked the most sympathetic characters. Um, you have a black man, a woman, and a child. And a dog. So very cliche, very typical. But even then, didn't really give us a whole lot of them. It, it automatically assumes that because they are the somewhat outcasts, they're different from everybody else, we're automatically going to sympathize with them. That's getting a little irritating in the year 2023. But that's a whole nother rant I can go off on. Um, so we're going to move past that. So the characters themselves are not very fleshed out. I didn't think except for a couple of your leads. We have Corey Hawkins, who plays our lead, Dr. Clemens, who is a black man who is a doctor. He is in Romania. We don't know why he's in Romania. We know he came to, actually we do. We find out later in the film why he came to Romania, but we don't really get a why from him as to why he's coming back from London. It looks like it's a trip of disappointment. And, you know, he came to Romania for one thing, didn't work out. And now he's going back home, you know, with his tail between his legs in a sense, but it's very, a little unclear. You kind of have to read between the lines and you don't really get a why until the very, very end. And even then it's like, okay, maybe this is why he's on the boat. It's it's all kind of, you know, it's different. It rock, it rocks the boat a little bit. Um, we have a young lady who is some they think is a stowaway and not quite a stowaway. We have young Toby played by Woody Norman, who was in a movie called Cobweb that came out a couple of weeks ago. Gifted young actor. It'd be interesting to see how he unfolds and develops in this industry. As he starts to get more roles, I'm sure he will. He makes he makes a good holly. He, he makes a good horror kid. If that makes sense, you have a couple of kids within the industry who have grown up in horror movies and they just make for good horse horror movies. They're good, scary kids. They scare easy or they look good, scary. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. So we have Liam Cunningham, who plays our captain. We have, oh, I can't pronounce this man for nothing, but he was in Oppenheimer. And he was also in, um, what's that movie? Also Christopher Nolan, The Dark Knight. David Das Malkin. So we get care, we get personality types. This is kind of how I describe the movie Nope, Jordan Peele's movie from last summer, is that we didn't really have characters. We didn't have fleshed out individuals. We just had these people playing personalities and they played these personalities to the nth degree. That's kind of what I was getting here is that we have these individual personalities on a boat and then a couple of characters who were fleshed out in some way. But I don't think they were fleshed out enough that we would connect and bond with them. That's the secret to good horror films. It's character development. So that was my issue. But it's not essential to the story because, again, this is the captain's log. So it's really just a detailing of events that happened that day. So we don't know who these what these people's names are. We don't know who they are, where they come from, or even their roles on the ship aside from the captain, the first mate, 
and the second mate. So that's the beauty of this source material, this one chapter. Yes, it's very detailed in what happens on what days and when, but there's so much left out that you can kind of build your own little story and universe in it. There was so much opportunity, and I think they kind of left a lot of that opportunity on the floor. Something else that really bugged me slightly, because having read the novel, I understand this takes place in the middle of the story. There's a story that's already begun before we even get to this point, and there's a story that continues once it's over. I don't, that's kind of what bugged me a bit. How do I make this make sense? Because Having read the novel, you know what Dracula is, who Dracula is, and what he means to this region, and what his leaving means to this region. They give us little things that show that the locals recognize symbols. They know who and what he is. But this is a this is an entity, an evil being that has terrorized this area. They all know what lives in that castle, or at least they've heard of what lives in that castle. They know that evil lives in that castle. So they would definitely recognize the symbols as they're being loaded onto the crate. I don't think the the director or even the writers did a good job of showing us a story that's already in motion. Does that make sense? That was something I liked about Don't Worry Darling. That movie was kind of like mid, but one thing I loved about don't worry, darling, is that it's clear the story had already started by the time we come into it. It's like jumping on a moving train and we're kind of left to figure out, okay, where's this going? You're kind of involved in the mystery of it all. I loved that. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. About Don't Worry Darling, I think that's what they should have done here. 
is this, a, this is a story that's already in motion, that's already started and is going to keep moving once we're done. I think they could have made this kind of like a moving train, given us more of what happened before so that we can understand what's coming. I think there's this expectation because we know who this character is. We know everything about Dracula. We know Dracula that we already kind of have that tension within us going into it. I didn't. Crazy enough. I know, but everyone's different. So those were just some of my biggest issues with the movie. Uh, Just the lack of character development. I thought the movie dragged a little too long. I think it could have been like anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes shorter. Um, At times it was just a little dull. I think it could have been more claustrophobic. We're in a tight space, a ship in the middle of the ocean. They can't go anywhere. It's death, no matter what they stay on the ship or if they get off. And I think we see the monster too soon. I honestly thought we saw the monster too soon. I thought about this um, when I saw Boogeyman and I was a little put off the movie once we saw the monster. And I realized I think that was just my personal issue. But I think in this, we saw the monster too soon because we didn't really have, we the, the tension hadn't developed yet by the time we see the monster. We already know who he is. We already know what it is and we already know what he does. We know what's going to happen. The title gives it away. And understanding that this takes place in the middle of the novel Dracula, we can assume that this being, you know, Dracula on a ship in the middle of the ocean or the Mediterranean, what have you, we know that basically everyone on the ship is dead. We already know. So I think they the, the, the lack of tension building up to us finally seeing the monster, it just didn't do it for me. I think there was a lot of missed opportunity here, but I think as far as them wanting to re um, revive the monster universe, you know, Wolfman, the mummy, Frankenstein, Guillermo del Toro is really wanting to do a proper Mary Shelley's Frankenstein adaptation. I I'm, I'm here for it. I'm praying for it, crossing my fingers that if I had a favorite book of all time, it would be Frankenstein. So, you know, Stuff like that, the resurgence of these monsters. Every couple of years, they try to bring it back. It was something that was very big in the 50s and 60s. So um, if you know anything about Stephen King, he is very much inspired by the monster movies. So every now and then, they try to bring back this era of the monsters. And I'm here for it. I would love to see it. I would, I'm not opposed to seeing another Wolfman. I'm not opposed to even seeing another mummy. I think they can go a different direction with the mummy stuff, trying to redo what was already done, but give us something a little bit different. I think they can do it. I think they can even take the, mon- the mummy and bring it into an American context or maybe a British context. Um, we've been in Egypt several times at this point. I love Egypt. We love the English. Um, the Egyptian landscape. We love Egyptian photography and cinematography, but I don't think they can outdo what was done with the Brendan Fraser movie. I don't think they can outdo that. So I would take the mummy and bring it somewhere else. That's my suggestion. But hey, if you want to go back to Egypt, I'll go with you. I'm here for it. So I think this movie kind of sets up for that universe to come back. I'm just hoping this movie gets the um, attention it needs for that to happen. But I think Guillermo del Toro, no matter what, is going to bring Frankenstein back. But I think he wants to do it properly, which is going to be a bit of a gamble because not a lot of, you know, not everyone has read the book Frankenstein. So not everyone understands how different that monster in the novel is to who he's been portrayed excuse me, to who he's been portrayed in movies. I'm going on a complete tangent. I'm having a nerd moment here. We're talking about the last voyage of the Demeter. I haven't even told y'all who was in the movie, who directed the thing. Let me do that first. 
here I am getting ahead of myself. So this is The Last Voyage of the Demeter, directed by Norwegian Andre Overdahl. If you are Norwegian or have any knowledge of the language, please tell me how to properly pronounce his name. I went all over YouTube, tried to find interviews where people say his name, and that's the only one I could find was Overdahl. So directed by Andre Overdahl, who also did The Autopsy of Jane Doe, um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, stars Corey Hawkins, Aisling Franciosi, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. I know she's Irish. Liam Cunningham, David Desmalkian, John John Briones, Stefan Kapicic, Nikolai Nikolev, um, Javier Botet, Woody Norman. Okay, real quick, Javier Botet, let's talk about him for a second. Um, I, I just want to just sing his praises. So just just hold on tight with me. So we all know who Andy Serkis is, right? He is um, one of the go-to guys when you need something special done in Hollywood. He has been in several movies. If you don't know the name, you definitely have seen him work. He's been in Lord of the Rings. He's been in the most recent Star Wars films. He's been in King Kong, the Peter Jackson film. I think it was Peter Jackson who directed several years. I want to say almost 20 years ago. Um, the newer Planet of the Apes movies, he was in all of those. You know, he he's done quite... A bit. Um, he also did a Jungle Book movie. I think he directed and he also starred in it. Now, who was he in King Kong? He was King Kong. He was also a cook. So he was both a cook and he was the ape. He was Supreme Leader Snoke in the most, most recent Star Wars films. He's Gollum in Lord of the Rings. He's Caesar in the Planet of the Apes movies. He is the go-to motion capture guy. He's so good at it. He's so creative. He's so in touch and in tune and confident in his own body, the way he moves. It's amazing. He's so good at what he does. And he interprets um, movements so well. Like It's like a dance watching him work. I mention him because I always put him and Javier Botet in the same boat. They are two of Hollywood's best kept secrets. Andy Serkis is your motion picture guy. Javier Botet is your go-to when you need a monster. Javier Botet. Again, if you're a horror fan, you're a horror fan, you have seen him. He was in the movie Mama with um directed by Andy Muschietti, um, who also directed the two It movies, and he was in both of those as well. He was in um also in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, directed by Andre. He was, I believe, the topless corpse. He was in The Conjuring 2. He played um Crooked Man. Probably my favorite part from that movie is the Crooked Man. He is adorably tall. He suffers from Marfan syndrome. So he is very tall. He's about six foot seven and very thin. He's about 123 pounds. So in all the different issues that come with Marfan syndrome, he's an incredible actor. But on top of the fact that he is very tall, he is very thin. You can do whatever you want with him. You can put him in any costume. He can be the big monster. He can be the fat, like you can do, he is a walking canvas. You can do whatever you want with him. And he's so good at it. He has such a sweet face. He's such a sweet dude, but he's, he can be menacing. He's so talented, so gifted. 
and he is our Dracula. This was something I loved about the movie is the practical effects. It's so nice to see movies not immediately put everything in CGI and depend on CGI, but instead going back to the art of costuming and makeup and just overall practic effect, practical effects, using people who are crazy enough in this industry to do crazy things the way Christopher Nolan does it, because, you know, the man built a whole bomb. Um People just going back to just doing the crazy things in camera. So not going all CGI crazy with Dracula, using someone real, putting them in a costume and letting him move about naturally and work. I loved him. I loved our Dracula here. So our Dracula here is very different. I know the Dracula we tend to get in the movies is very um, sexualized. You know, he's usually very good looking and seductive. Our Dracula in the novel is very much a monster. He looks different. He looks off, but they're not exactly sure what to do with him. Um, in the movie, he's described as sometimes wearing a human skin or appearing as human when it's convenient for him. But for the most part, he is a monster. And he's been this way for some time. Over time, he's just lost his humanity completely. And we get to see Dracula the monster. So the monster in itself is just cool. Dracula is cool in this. He's scary. He's terrifying. He looks a bit like Nosferatu. He looks a bit like that vampire. Um, a bit of a nod to him, if I had to say so. I, I love to see these different things connect. I love it when Hollywood pays homage to Hollywood, when they recognize the greatness that came before it. I think that's where a lot of the inspiration, I have to look it up, but if I had to guess, that's where some of the inspiration for our Dracula here that's where it came from. So Javier Botet was probably my favorite part. I just love it when I see him as I know we're going to get something creepy. We're going to get something good. We're going to get something that's just beautifully done. Because a lot like Andy Serkis, Javier Botet, when he does his work, it's like a dance. It's beautifully done and it's seamless. And you can tell he's just so good at it and he's passionate about it. And it's just a resurgence of practical effects because everyone wants to do CGI. And that's why a lot of these movies are costing so much because not only are these production companies doing CGI, but they're not outsourcing anymore. They're doing a lot of this in-house and they're building a lot of this technology in-house and it can cost a lot of money. When you do, when you spend more time on practical effects, what you do is you get a three hour long movie like Oppenheimer that only costs you a hundred million dollars to make. That's relatively cheap. For a Hollywood film nowadays, you compare that to uh, The Little Mermaid, which costs $250 million to make. And, you know, Disney is claiming they're breaking even, but I'm not seeing it. So, yeah, just I just want to just do a nod, a round of applause, round of applause for the practical effects in this film. That, to me, made me happy. I love seeing it. Oh, I'm such a nerd. All right, parents, I am here to answer the question many of you have. Is this appropriate for my kid? So before we even get to that part, quick little tangent, just, you know, fun um, little tidbit fact. So the rating system that we have from the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association of America, so, you know, the GPGPG13R system, that is not required. Um, films are not required to go through that to get a rating system. Um, so a film doesn't have to be rated. The only issue with that is, is that if your film is not rated, it can make it that much harder for a theater to show it. 
um, not being able to know what the film contains and how to communicate that to the audience. Because, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, once upon a time, I did work in a movie theater and working in box office, which is where you sell the tickets. Um, before this, you know, before buying, you know, tickets online was such a big thing. That was a question that I had to answer for a lot of parents because, you know, we got to see a lot of movies for free where it was, you know, is this appropriate for my kid? Hey, my kid is this age. How do you think they'll do? And I'm going to tell you the same thing that I told a lot of parents. I said, hey, you know, your kid when I was their age, these are the kind of movies I was watching, but I could handle it. You know what your kid can handle. You know what your kid can't handle. However, this is what's in the movie. So as I say many times, mom and dad, you know your kid, you know what your child can handle, what your child can't handle, you know how your child processes information, how they can tell the difference between what's real and what's not, truth and a lie, how they can, you know, maybe disassociate that that reality from fantasy and um, what it does to their imagination, what it triggers and so on and so forth. You know your kid. So given everything that I'm saying, you have to take that. I'm not telling you, don't take your kid to see this. Take your kid to see it. There are certain movies, though, that I'm going to be like, hey, no, absolutely not for your elementary you know, age kid. Don't do that. But at the end of the day, you know your child. So I just want to put that out there because I don't think I've mentioned it before. This movie is rated R, but it's rated R for bloody violence. I don't. There isn't really bad language in this movie at all. There are a couple of mentions of like a brothel, you know, hey, what are you going to do when you get back to London and you get paid? And there's a joke about him going to a brothel and there's a little boy in the movie and he's like, I know what, you know, because they're talking about all this stuff. And grandpa, who's the captain of the little boy, um, is telling them to mind their language, watch what they're talking about. And the little boy's like, I know what that is. And he gives this like cutesy little innocent child explanation that's almost at the right answer but not quite so it's it's kind of adorable in a sense and such a normal thing you know if you're at a table with a bunch of blue collar men and there's a kid at the table sometimes they don't watch what they say and kids have a way of trying to make sense of what's going on in the conversation so that's kind of what it is it's not that big of a deal at least I didn't think so I'm not a parent so yeah mostly it's just bloody violence, a lot of blood, a lot of death, people dying. Um, You don't, I mean, I'm not a big judge of this. I don't think there's anything too graphic in this. A lot of throat slashing, um, bodies burning on fire, because, you know, that's what happens to vampires when they um, go out into the sun, unless they're, you know, the Cullen family. But besides that, it's it's just a bloody good movie. That's it. It's just a lot of blood, maybe some guts, dead animals. and it's Dracula. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. So you kind of know what to expect from it, but that's about it. You're not going to, there's no sex, there's no nudity, there's no bad language. It's just bloody good fun. You know, good little supernatural horror slasher film. That's it. If your kid is cool with that, I think they'll have fun. I think that they'll enjoy it. If you know your child is not mature enough to handle that kind of violence, then wait a little bit. Um, if you're one of those parents who was like, you know, I want to explain Dracula to my kid. I, I'm definitely going to be one of those parents where I already have a long list of movies I can't wait to watch with my kid. Wait for this to come on streaming. Watch with it. Watch it with them at home. But if you're a grown person, I recommend seeing this in theater. I don't think you're going to appreciate the cinematography in this movie the same way inside your home. I think this is better in a controlled setting where the lighting is just the right amount of dark. You can't always get that in a living room. Does that make sense? So, yeah. You, this is one of those movies where I think you know your kid, you know what your kid can handle. It's no bad language, no sex, none of that. It's just violent and a lot of blood. What can your child handle? I think that's 
the crux of it. I'm not going to say, oh, this is inappropriate for elementary or middle or high school like I've done with many other movies. I really, truly do think this boils down to you knowing your child and knowing what they can handle. And I hope, I hope, I hope that helps. Want to advertise on this podcast? Check the episode description to see how you can be featured on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to me rant and rave once again about another movie. So that was The Last Voyage of the Demeter. And just to kind of sum it up, I thought it's a good, you know, summer fun horror film. Um, Nice little jump scares here and there. Great cinematography. The music's good. Sound editing's good. I just felt like there were a lot of opportunities within this movie that were kind of just left on the floor. That just seemed like something missing. But I think a lot of that perspective comes from having read the book and read that chapter. But I think if you have not read the book or at least read that chapter, I don't think you're going to miss a beat here. I think you're going to you're going to enjoy this regardless. It's it looks good, good, beautiful, gothic setting. It's what I look for in a scary movie monster remake is is what I look for. So what's coming up? I mentioned that the next week is going to be a little wonky. So you are going to get an episode next Friday. It's just probably not going to be a review. So this is what's happening. I'm going to go see Blue Beetle Thursday evening. I already got my ticket. And then Friday, I'm actually traveling. I'm driving back to the Queen City. I'm going to be house sitting slash dog sitting for my aunt, which means I'm going to have an entire house to myself for about three weeks about three weeks. And I'm so excited, so excited because that means I get all the time in the world to really just kind of catch up on things because July was weird. So yeah, Blue Beetle, Thursday evening, traveling Friday. And then I have a ticket for Gran Turismo next Saturday at like three um, at a movie theater in the Charlotte area. And I'm crossing my fingers. I'll be able to see it. Because once I'm in town, those first couple of days, my time really isn't my own because everybody and their mama is going to want to see my face because they haven't seen me since Christmas. So I'm hoping I can still make that showing at three because it's an early access showing. This is the beauty of having AMC A-list is sometimes you get these early access showings. The only problem is, is a lot of these early access showings happen to be on a Wednesday when I have to be at church and it's really annoying. So, yes. I know um, Gran Turismo actually comes out the week after Blue Beetle, so it would be nice to be able to see the movie early, go ahead and get my review out of the way, and not have to feel like I have to rush on Friday for it. So yeah, that that's what's happening there. And um, yeah, just going to be spending some time in the Charlotte area, doing some recording for y'all. I've got some things that I really want to work on and get done and really haven't had the time to do it. But being away from everything, being away from my church, because that's where a lot of my time is going. I love my church. If you go to my church and you hear this, I love you. I do. But it takes up a lot of my time. And that's my choice. I enjoy it. But getting a nice little break where I don't have to give so much of my time to the church and I can put more effort into this, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. So um, cross your fingers and keep me keep me in your prayers because I don't have any focus for nothing. Nothing. But yeah, I'm looking forward to Blue Beetle next week. I'm looking forward to watching Gran Turismo next week. And then I can't remember what comes out the week after that. I know Gran Turismo is supposed to come out the week after that, but I'm sure there's another one. But yeah, that's that's it, y'all. That was it. That was my review. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know if you're going to see it. If you have a favorite Dracula or vampire movie, let me know in the comments section and tell me why. And oh my God, the vampire is so cute is a totally valid reason 
to for that movie to be your favorite. That's totally valid. Don't let anyone tell you different. So if that's your reason, say so, so we can talk about it and be girls. So yeah, let me know. I love y'all. You're amazing. Happy August. And I will see you guys next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.